Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Storm King's Teddy, Session 25. How you doing, Cap? Doing pretty well. Oh, not too bad. Um, so, um, doing anything interesting or? Um, no, um, I will say that, um, you know, we're 25 sessions in with, uh, Teddy and into Storm King Thunder module. Um, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm enjoying it so much that I have actually picked up another campaign ran by Teddy. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this one is uh, Princes of the Apocalypse module. Uh, the setting is, instead of, I think, Sword sword Something Coast, um, it's in Eberron again, uh, which is fine. I like the Eberron setting. I don't... I mean, I've only... The only experience I know of Eberron is what we've been... I think Teddy likes Eberron. Yeah, and I think Teddy likes Eberron. But instead of Zendrick this time, we're going to be in um, Corvair and Sharn. So it's pretty pretty much going to be all new to me, even though it's in the same world. So you got to uh, do Session Zero last week? Um, two weeks ago. Session zero was two weeks ago. Session one was last week. Oh, okay. And it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Having a good time. Yeah. Small group of us, you know, uh, a lot of in character teasing and whatnot and making sure everyone's okay with that and whatever, but we're a good group. Uh, what's your, what's your lineup? We have a twilight domain cleric, a fighter, who hasn't unlocked his subclass yet, but I believe he's leaning towards a rune knight. And we have two wizards. Um, Myself is one of them. Uh, I am going to be an Order of Scribes wizard. Uh, You know, this is going to be my first full dive into a full caster um, character class. And the other wizard is going to be in the Evocation School of Magic. No thief. No, I don't. No thief, no bard, no, 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 no skill monkey. Hmm. That's. Uh, uh, I'll be interested to hear how um, your sessions go. <laughs> well, I can tell you this much. Um, from session one, we. <laughs> if it wasn't for my observant trait, um, we probably would have failed our first quest <laughs> right <laughs> off the rip because <laughs> we don't really have a face of the party. I mean, the highest charisma I believe in the party is a fourteen, which isn't bad. No, that's pretty. But good. It, it's pretty good. But you know, if you're trying to do persuasion checks and you're rolling like sevens and you give advantage and you your advantage is a two, and you know, it's just yikes. <laughs> so it, it's it'll be interesting to. Um, to see how everything shakes out. Um, I'm not too worried about um, combat or anything because um, I don't know about how you feel about this, but with Teddy and his combat encounters, I feel like they are balanced very appropriately. Like almost every time when I, uh, when we enter into combat, I'm sitting here going like, we are fucked. Like, we could probably get out of this, but like, you know, we're going to be out of spell slots or we're going to be like having to, you know, roll hit dice and, you know, for HP and everything. But then, you know, halfway through, I'm like, okay, all right, we're gaining steam. You know, people are falling. We're getting there. And then towards the end of it, I'm like, all right, we got this in the bag. So I, I really like how Teddy balances his encounters. I think they're top notch. Yeah. It's been pretty good. I, um, 
I've gone into several of the combats thinking the same thing. Uh, we are way overmatched here. But usually we have a uh, NPC or two with us that kind of takes some of the heat off. So um, that's... Uh, and I'll be the first to admit that uh, as a DM, um, I have run NPCs as buffers where... Uh, if the characters are all doing well, they don't have to do a whole lot in combat. But if they're um, if they're just getting slaughtered, they can kind of step up to kind of soften that. Not necessarily take the risk all the way, just uh, give them a fighting chance. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I agree. I think he's uh, doing a pretty good job. So, um, I'll talk about the session last night. Yes. Um, last night's session, I think, for me, was among one of the best. Yep, I had a lot um, of fun. I don't think it was the attack on Stormreach. It wasn't that hype or that intense. Um, nor was it the Gibbering Mouther encounter. I still think the Gibbering Mouther encounter is probably the best session of the entire module or campaign thus far. Um, I don't know if I think it was the best. I think it might have been the most dangerous for us. I, well, whether it's the best or most dangerous, personally, the Gibbering Mouther was a big highlight. And I know that was early on. And the fight for Stormreach is a good second. And then this one, I wouldn't say it's third, but certainly top five. It was pretty solid. And I'm giving it a lot of praise, but not really much happened. Well, uh, we didn't, we maybe didn't advance, you know, uh, storyline as much as we have in some of the, in some of them, but we got a lot of combat in. Yeah. So, um, and that started with us in the tower under assault by a silver dragon and six, um, I think they were red uh, dragon kin or dragonborn, right? Ah, that sounds about right. I, I didn't catch the coloring. And, um, so everyone, every one of us tried during our turn still attacking, but not maybe at the, the, um, limit of our abilities. Keelan had passed up a, uh, attack of opportunity the previous session on the silver dragon and um didn't use a spiritual weapon i did have the spirit guardians up but uh didn't use you know all of my abilities um you had laid into the dragon pretty good with um a smite yeah yep um i'm probably the only one that didn't try to convince the direct, the silver dragon. Um, what, what was, what was her name? Um, starts with C, right? Uh, uh, Clarion or Clarion. Yes. Um, I was probably the only one that didn't bother to try and convince Clarion that we're not under a spell and we are, we have guest rights and these, um, Storm Giants are actually kind of chill. I took the fight 100% seriously. I'm like, if you guys want to talk at, talk your way out of this, that's fine. But, you know, I'm take, I'm I'm going to go combat mode. And that's what I did. So, I yeah, the well, previous the, session, I 
I, the dragon jumped over you and I in the entrance. I took my reaction for a, a slash, and I'm like, fuck it, I'll smite it. Um, <laughs> didn't expect to do much, but, you know, at least being like, hey, can't do that shit for free. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think that uh, we were justified doing it, but the dragon was under the impression that we were prisoners or being enchanted by the, by the cloud mm-hmm. giants. Mm-hmm. And um, after... Uh, three or four of us spoke up during our turns and said, hey, you got this wrong. This isn't what's going on. And finally the dragon stopped and listened to what we had to say. So we didn't have to um, take that fight to conclusion, I guess. Um, there, There wasn't any... There wasn't very much damage to be had. I don't think any of the players got hit. And I think the Clarion took the damage from from me, and I think a Dragonborn or two took some damage from Spiritual Guardians. Um, other than that, yeah, it was it was we we were trying to hawk down the dragon and convince them that we weren't under a spell and everything. Even though I was in full combat mode, like ready to throw down and throw hands. So. Got through with that combat, um, got some um, talking in with the with the dragon who fell in love with Lars. <laughs> I have to say, once again, uh, Lars kind of stole the show last night. <laughs> he um, really did. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was in rare form. Um, so we, uh, once we finished that, the Cloud Giants got us the rest of the way to uh, the Eye of the All-Father uh, set us down uh, close, and we um, got very cold for a short amount of time, making our way into that dungeon. Um, big enough, by the way, that we were able to take uh, Richter Scales and our RV along with us into the dungeon. Um, yeah. Um, quickly before we get into the Eye of the All-Father... Um, I want to mention the uh, the cultural uh, interaction we had with the Dragonborn, um, and once everything was kind of chill and you know the combat died down after Clarion, um, is that you, um, with assistance from Portia, uh, were telling the story of the Battle of Stormreach um, and how Dob Shaba played her role and everything and. Um, all the dragonborn, you know, sat around you and, uh, one or two of them started repeating after you like verbatim. Uh, and then, then they started repeating it to each other and they were reciting it back and forth. And it turns out like they, the, um, the dragonborn are the, like, a an or, or orality, I think that's the correct term for it, uh, culture where they don't have libraries or written records or anything everything is uh shared via stories and um yeah yeah so they don't pass things down as a written language um everything's uh, handed down by stories and when uh i told the silver dragon about how we found abshaba and the good account that they made of um herself when we were both in that dungeon and um defending Stormreach. 
I was uh, asked to tell the story and uh, Portia had was adding bits that I had glossed over. So we both told the story and it was interesting the way that Teddy had it back to us because one person took my role and repeated everything I said and another one took Portia's role and everything that she said. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of an interesting encounter. Um, let's see. Um, oh, when we, so when we first walked up to the eye of the all father, there were, um, pillar relief. There were pillars in relief basically that had a, uh, depicting a hill giant, a frost giant, a cloud giant, a storm giant, a stone giant, and a fire giant. Um, so the, they were all doing something. So a hill giant lifting a rock above its head, a frost giant, uh, chopping down a, a big pine tree. Uh, cloud giant was flying among birds in the sky. Um, and then a flying storm giant hurling lightning bolts at a ship. Um, and then the stone giant was climbing a mountain and fire giant was, uh, with, uh, chained, was it elven or dwarven prisoners? Elf. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, and then, um, as soon as we passed, uh, between those columns, it seemed like, uh, the storm kind of, the storm was still going outside, but it kind of abated as soon as we passed that threshold. Uh, another side note is um, on our way down from the flying castle into the Eye of the Allfather, we could see uh, a small group of humanoid creatures also entering um, the Eye of the Allfather ahead of us. Yeah, so um, if we're actually on timeline at this point, um, that means that we got on them pretty early. Because we would have been, they would have been in the dungeon for a long time if we had gone by foot. Yeah. Um, so, uh, once we got in, we just started walking down the initial hallway and immediately ran into um, stone deadfalls uh, for traps. Um, I don't remember, was it Lars that was out in the lead and tripped the first one? And it came down this giant slab of of stone and uh, designed basically to keep other giants out of out of this area. We um, haven't had to deal with a lot of um, traps for quite a while because most of everything's been kind of out in the open with our encounters. Like you know, when we were fighting at the monastery, we didn't have to worry about stuff like that. Um, but, uh, we're kind of back in a dungeon now. And so it was a good reminder. And then immediately we tripped a second one <laughs> and yeah. both of them did some ridiculous amount of damage. What was it like 26 D 10 or something like that? It was 24. Yeah. 24. It was, yeah, it was just huge. It was ridiculous. Um, I think Winfred made the comment saying like, if it were D twos, he would still die. <laughs> yeah. So if, um, I think that would have been the case for almost all of us, uh, uh my honestly, mind of... thinking, 
thinking on it, if any one of us were caught in there, um, I think we all would have died, and there and died in like point of no return, dead, uh, just smushed. I think I don't know how much HP Harshnag has, but it's plausible. I'm gonna say that Harshnag could have survived a crushing blow from it, but he would have been like out of commission, like with double digits of HP left or something crazy or or it might have he it, it might have straight up killed him but he would have been able to probably make death saves and we could have brought him back or something um from death but i i think any every one of us would be just gone um so anyway after we triggered the second one we were traveling down a very large hallway that seemed like it had ledges up on both sides, about 20 feet. Uh, dark, so we were using our dark vision. And uh, Porsche's the best at that. I think she has, what is it, 120 foot? Yeah, I think she, I don't know if it's drow specific, um, but she's got crazy dark vision. And then the rest of us, I think, are limited to 60. Yeah. So, um, anyway, we were following, uh, that other group in and they heard obviously those, uh, deadfall traps come down and, um, were circling back to figure out what was going on. One of them had a torch lit so we could see the light, but we just couldn't necessarily see out that far with our dark vision. We didn't have a good view of them. But when they uh, circled back and um, start and initiated an attack against us, um, I put up my spirit guardians as always. Went up between Harshnag's legs because um, <laughs> he's tall enough that we can occupy the same space, and Harshnag just picked me up, <laughs> put me on his shoulder, <laughs> and then went into combat. Um, we, uh, so it ended up being, uh, shaman and, um, kind of a, uh, a warlord of some kind and they were, uh, Goliaths, right? All of them. Yeah. And they, they were all Goliaths. so they had a reaction ability. Uh, I'm guessing that they could use every round seemed like they did, um, where they could, um, blunt up to like nine points of damage that came their way in that round i i i moused over the um the role the one uh, one of the roles teddy's made and i think it's they can um they can negate up to 12 uh a d12 uh worth of damage as a reaction okay so it was uh it was random as far as the number yeah okay uh it seemed like seven or nine came up a lot i didn't remember maybe that's wise because it was changing yeah I, I don't i don't know if it's if it if teddy was rolling a d12 and just seven and nine just happened to be the magic numbers or it's just you know the, the average of a d12 and teddy was just taking the average as a reaction so um there were how many do you remember how many of the um you remember how many of the Goliaths there were? Uh, 
Um, like the regular jobber ones. Yeah. Um, I want to say five. I honestly paid them not a lick of attention. Uh, I was more focused on the shaman and the like the the warlord Goliath. Um, so the other the other jobbers, I I would I would say five, maybe six. Uh, no, it was six because I remember. Um, I remember when we saw them in the castle. Um, Teddy said that we saw a group of eight humanoids entering the Eye of the Allfather. So if we saw eight of them, and there was a shaman and the warlord Goliath, then that means there were six jobbers. Yes, I thought there was six, but I couldn't remember because they were kind of all over the place. So um, it was interesting. They had a fair number of hit points, uh, and that uh, damage blunting ability made them seem like they had quite a bit more. Uh, I'm used to seeing uh, HP bars drop um, quicker than uh, quicker than they were. I think um, I, I don't know how many hit points do you think they had? Um. Sixty-three. I don't know. I'm, I was guessing uh, that they had somewhere around seventy, seventy-five. But yeah, I, um, yeah, could be. I I don't know, but yeah. it. I think it was um, a combination of their reaction blunting the damage and um, being Goliath, so they had a a larger um, pool of health. Okay, so uh, this combat ensued. There was a lot that went on in this combat. Um, Portia found that if she, um, or I guess Harshnag maybe told her that there were torch sconces up on the walls, on the ledge, and that if they were uh, lit with some form of fire, that um, they would provide light and warmth. And so as we were fighting... Portia was throwing um, uh, flames, not flame strike, um, firebolt, firebolt um, over onto the torches and lighting them as we went. So we started getting a better view of the battlefield. Um, as the uh, as they were closing on us, the shaman did some sort of ritual where all of the Goliaths needed to be close in order to receive the. Um, the blessings of whatever spell they were casting. And it, it was like um, tendrils of uh, red um, covered their weapons and their bodies. And as uh, soon as it came to my turn, I uh, dispelled <laughs> and got rid of it. And that angered the shaman. Um, but um, so I, I did a little bit of healing on Arshnag and. Uh, did a little bit of damage with uh, spirit guardians, spiritual hammer, that sort of thing. Um, you were in the fray. Um, it took us a while to get up to them because there was such a distance between us. But once you covered the ground, you kind of squared off on the uh, the warlord, yeah? Yeah. So to put this in perspective, um, the I think the entire length of the hallway is like 320 feet long. 
um, with the 20-foot walls on either side, and each square was 10 feet of movement. So these, this was a huge battlefield. And um, part of the reason why Portia was firebolting fire um, the sconces and lighting up the area is because she was towards the back of the group. And even if with a movement and action dash to move 60 feet, the the enemies was still like 280 feet away. And that's just a ridiculous amount of range um, or for anything. Like, I mean, even my Eldritch Blast, which has 120 feet, I still was like out of range for the good first half of this combat. Um, so that's why Portia was doing God's work and lighten up the area and just slowly inching her way forward to get some damage in towards the end. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll get to me squaring up with the Goliath in a second, but I wanted to touch on this for a second. Um, I, the reason why I took a while to get to the front is because Lars was lagging. He wasn't lagging behind, but he was behind as well. Like we all would have had to take two turns of movement and dashing to get relatively close like within 120 feet for most spells but i don't know if i read it in an article or if it was a fever dream or if it was in your second edition campaign that we ran years and years and years years ago but i thought having advantage or having the high ground gave you advantage so that was my thought process on why I did that and took so long to get to the front is because I stayed back, used my action to aid Lars getting up the 20 foot walls and essentially giving him the high ground. Um, Cause I'm like, Hey, it gets him out of the fray. Um, so he's not necessarily a target, but also he can sling those juicy, spicy fireballs and psychic lances from above. And I thought he would have had advantage. I'm guessing it was a fever dream because high ground doesn't give advantage. And I and I tried looking up um, on the web and seeing if like advan- high ground gives advantage. And I think it was mostly like homebrew rules or whatever um, that have that application. So was it kind of a waste of a turn? I, I don't think so. Maybe. Um, but that was my thought process for that turn. And then at once Lars was up on the on the cliff, then I kind of was like, all right, I need to get back in the fray because you and Harshnag can only can only like hold the fort and for so long being almost surrounded by six jobbers, a shaman and a and a warlord. So, but yeah, um, just so you know, so- in second edition, high ground does give you an advantage. Uh, it's uh, there is no advantage disadvantage in second edition. But um, it uh, changes your uh, it changes your uh, initiative. So if you have uh, high ground, you get a bonus to your um, to your speed in the round, and if you have low ground, it's a penalty. Okay, so, so that's probably where I was getting it from. Yeah, probably was. Okay. Um, all that aside, oh, excuse me. I was making my way up towards the the group of Goliaths. Um, all the while, they're moving closer towards us. So it's not... I don't necessarily have to keep dashing to 
be within range anymore. I can move my 30, do an action, move my 30, do an action, and then I'll be up in the fray. Because we're just kind of running towards each other, essentially. Um, but I, after putting Lars up on the wall, I was like, okay, this shaman did some blood magic ritual spell. Not sure what it is. But he's a caster. Casters can be a problem. I wasn't even worried about the melee jobbers. I'm like, you and Harshnag and Winifred and Portia when she can make it up to the front. I'm like, you guys can take care of those uh, melee jobbers just fine. Wasn't worried about them at all. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to Eldritch Blast the Shaman. You know, try and take them out of the equation at least. Um, landed both of them. Um, and they used a reaction to reduce the damage of the first blast. But I'm like, cool, fine. I got another Eldritch Blast right for you. So try reducing that damage. And that apparently painted to target on me. Because um, then the Warlord was just like, oh, okay, uh, this person's a problem. And then he moved and dashed to close the distance between um, him and himself and, and me. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. You know, come at me. 21 AC, pretty well, with shield. That makes it 26. Um, like, barring any crits, don't see don't see him as too much of a threat. Um, obviously, he was a threat, but I wasn't, I wasn't concerned at all. Um, but, you know, I was going to um, Eldritch Blast the Shaman again because I didn't kill the Shaman and then close the distance into the Warlord Goliath. But uh, our friendly neighborhood bard um, from atop the wall fireballed um, and pretty much deleted two or three uh, Goliaths, the Shaman included, and did crazy damage to um, a few others. Like, Lars fireballed twice and uh, was just doing ridiculous amounts of damage. So, and uh, this is this is probably my favorite thing about Lars's character. Uh, he comes up with something uh, insanely funny to do for all of his abilities. You know, uh, bardic inspiration is either, you know, finger guns or winking at you or something like that. Uh, and... <laughs> What, didn't he uh, do both of the fireballs by turning around and twerking at the at the enemy? Yeah, um, <laughs> I can't remember if one fireball uh, was like he turned around, farted in his hand, and then just like threw his through like through the fart, and then that was the fireball. But he was like twerking and just doing all sorts of silly, ridiculous stuff. That was pretty funny, though. Um, and, and yeah, having a huge magic artillery platform 20 feet off the battlefield, just throwing, um, you know, raining fire down on everybody was, uh, very, very helpful. <laughs> I have to say, I, th I think his first fireball, he caught three, four, I think he caught five combatants with the first fireball. They were they were all grouped up for that blood spell. And yeah, Lars yeah. was just like fireball. Uh, what's what's he say? It's the only spell you ever need. Yep. <laughs> um. So. Um. But yeah. So now um, we get to what was probably the most exciting part of the session for myself. Um. 
it was so exciting that my heart was literally racing and I was actually kind of nervous. Um, and that's mainly because I did what uh, you dubbed in your notes, which has me absolutely laughing. Um, you, <laughs> I did what we're going to dub the beta strike. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you're you're gearing your character up to be able to deliver almost all your damage in one strike so we called that alpha but yep. you're <laughs> you didn't quite go that far so uh, yeah no, my, my notes I'm, i called it a beta strike <laughs> i'm still one level away from that alpha strike that mythical alpha strike is eluding me ever more and more but yeah the <laughs> the essentially what a beta strike is is just a a chaining of smites and green flame blade along with um regular damage from smiter of nightmares my sword uh the alpha strike throws in a little spicy uh eldritch smite on top of all that um (laughs) but the cost of all this is a beta strike costs me two spell slots a turn and the alpha will cost me three um which in this fight takes me down to one spell slot remaining because I beta striked twice. Um, so yeah, the I squared up with this Goliath, um, the Warlord Goliath, and I was like, come at me. I'm not afraid of you. I'm going to wreck your shit. I'll like, reduce the damage. Do it. I dare you. So I had an inspiration, and I quickly went over to check the inspiration house rules that Teddy uh, has Um, for us and um, I could use an inspiration to gain advantage on a roll and I'm sitting here going like if I'm going to expend two spell slots for a melee attack I'm going to hit this bitch so I used an inspiration to give myself advantage I bonus action thunderous smite which is a 2d6 of thunder damage and it has an after effect as well which I'll get to that in a little bit Um, and then I follow that up with a green flame blade melee action which is a D8 of fire damage, and then my regular D8 of uh, Smiter of Nightmares damage. And then on top of that, we'll throw in a Divine Smite, which is uh, two additional D8s, um, which equated to a whole crap ton damage. I think it was high 20s. Uh, I didn't think I broke 30, but it was high 20s worth of damage, e- uh, even with the uh, reaction uh, reduction. Yeah. So, um, what's your maximum doing that? Oh, I haven't calced for the beta. Um, you can fill in the time, and I'll I'll try and figure out uh, what a beta strikes max damage potentially could be. <laughs> okay. So, um, during this fight, also I want to bring up the fact that uh, Winifred was once again making good use of their pistol. Um, and the, uh, one of the, one of the Goliaths was killed by Winifred, um, and he did it kind of gangster style, you know, 45 degrees with the, with the uh, pistol in his hand and then said, uh, welcome to earth, bitch. And then shot him, killed him. And, uh, so that was a line from, I'm I know that it was a line that Will Smith used in Independence Day. 
Is that was that the reference? Because I didn't mm-hmm. catch where it actually came from. Yep, I, I that's the reference I took, and I think it was um, the moment Will Smith shot down the. If I remember correctly, he shot down the uh, the alien UFO spaceship, whatever, and he opened up the hatch, and it was like dying, and he's just like, "Welcome to Earth, bitch." Yeah, um, no, I, I don't know if he said "bitch," but yeah, he, <laughs> "Welcome to Earth," and he, he knocked him out. Um, I think that his funniest bit with that alien was when he was dragging him and he started kicking the shit out of it. He's like, should have been at a barbecue. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, um, but yeah, so, uh, doing good damage there. Uh, harsh nag was tearing things apart. Um, and I got some, uh, I got some damage in with the, uh, with the spells that I had up, but it wasn't, it wasn't like the other guys were doing. Um, so, um, once we finished that fight, uh, was it the, uh, was it kind of the warlord guy that had, uh, the magic necklace on him? Yeah. And he, um, he basically had a, um, amulet of proof against detection and location. Um, Portia claimed that, um, with the rationale that she's carrying the um the pieces to the titanic relic so uh didn't want those to be able to be tracked um and then we also found 700 gold piece gemstones and uh that was pretty much it from that group wasn't it yeah i don't think they had much else on them um and just to skip back a little bit uh my max for a beta strike if my math is correct is 44 mm, that's pretty good still and you did how many i did high 20s i don't think i broke 30 okay um that's still quite high a bit. 20s with like a 7 or 9 of damage reduction uh, but yeah and then um so i i just quickly want to touch on that. I kind of got lucky on my saving throws against uh, enemy combatants tonight. Um, top of the session, going back when we fought Clarion, I champion challenged uh, everyone in the room. That was six Dragonborn and the Dragon. Uh, I got four of the Dragonborn and Clarion themselves, but they did a legendary resistance to not be um, under my effects of the champion challenge, which... I wasn't expecting them to be I wasn't expecting them to be uh challenged or to be under that challenge anyways. Like I was literally doing it just so just cuz they were a target and so they could burn a legendary resistance. So if we did have like a big fireball or um a chaos bolt or anything from uh the other party members that that's one less legendary resistance down if it came to that, which it didn't. But a um Going forward now, but also backwards, backwards and forwards, uh, a Thunderous Smite um, has the additional effect of making a strength saving throw or be pushed back 10 feet and knocked prone. Again, we're fighting Goliaths. I'm assuming high constitution, high strength. Really wasn't expecting the Goliath Warlord to be affected by the Thunderous Smite. Like, I literally Thunder Smited for damage rather than the knockback and prone and each beta strike he failed his strength save 
and got pushed back 10 feet and knocked prone. And I was sitting here going like, what? Like, he's got like a plus four or a plus five or something ridiculous to his strength, and he failed a DC 15 check. And I'm, and I'm like, cool. I mean, I'll take it. Like, I wasn't expecting any of these to work, and they happened to, and they did. So that was, that was great. So let's see. I'm trying to remember if there was any other uh, really notable events in the fight. Um, um, but it, fam- the only other thing we missed was, uh, when I put, I helped Lars get on top of the, the ledge, there was a white dragon, uh, a baby white dragon baby, uh, a young, like, dog Chaba, and, uh, Lars psychic lanced it. Uh, they failed at save, took fall damage, and pretty much one shot killed it. Um, it was later pointed out to us that there was the slave collar or like a a controlling collar on this dragon, and Porsche identified it as um, old technology of the fire giants. Yeah, and I mean, I uh, I'm all for. Uh... You know, no mercy for the slavers, but the uh, at the same time, um, Keelan was less upset about the. I mean, always upset about a waste of life, but uh, it was a white dragon, um, and the chromatic dragons are typically evil aligned, um, and so while I wasn't um, about to cheer, I was less devastated than she seemed to be about the dragon. And then um, Winifred doing solid damage um, with his pistol. Um, a notable moment from him personally was the couple jobbers ran up to him and threw some javelins at him, and one of them landed to hit, and he's just like, <laughs> "Uncanny dodge," <laughs> yeah. and just re- like reduce like half uh, half the damage from it, and he's like, "I have a better ability than you." Um, <laughs> So that was pretty funny. And then Portia, towards the end, she um, she chaos bolted the Goliath Warlord and I believe a random jobber. Um, she action surged, which action surged, which reminded me that she multiclassed into fighter, which I completely forgot about. So that allowed her to chaos bolt twice, which was awesome. Yeah, it was. but that's that's pretty much about the highlights of it. Um, big fireballs, beta strikes, chaos bolts, and uh, welcome to Earth. Yep. Okay, so once we uh, cleared the room of enemies, uh, we went further east, which I, I actually think was south. <laughs> uh, I think the map is tilted because we had to go south to get into the entrance, and we didn't make a... Uh, we didn't make a left-hand turn after we got inside, but um, anyway, the way the the map was oriented, uh, we were headed east, and we went up a large set of steps and then uh, came to a room where there were statues uh, of all of the different types of giants, uh, the six types of giants surrounding a... Um, was that a 
one of the Titans that was in the center? Mm, um, I I don't I don't know. So um, all of the giants had um, uh, they were like examples of uh, famous giants of the the ordning uh, and. Like the hill giant um, said, they all had a weapon. The hill giant had a, a great club that was essentially a large femur. The stone giant was using a boulder. Um, the cloud giant had a mithril spear. Uh, the storm giant had uh, adamantine trident, which was the exact likeness of uh, Emperor Colseer, uh, or the the statue was and uh, also the trident uh, mirrored the one that we saw as we first came into Stormreach on the statue there um the one that let's see there was a there was a there was a fire giant that i think had a great sword and uh and then there was a frost giant who did not have a weapon though harshnag said uh, he believed it to be an axe, which makes sense. They seem to favor those. Uh, but I didn't, um, I didn't see, um, or, you know, there was no evidence of the axe actually being there. So our theory is that we have to, um, if this is a puzzle room of sorts, that we have to figure out where the axe is and return it to the giant. Um, if it's in this dungeon... Um, I would be surprised. Would you, or do you think it is here? Here's my suspicions. Uh, who, the end of the dungeon, we're going to have to fight some sort of boss. Uh, the boss is going to be wielding that weapon. Uh, that could be. Um, I just assumed that if we, uh, ran into a, um, I, I assumed that, we would have to go someplace else for it, that it's been removed somehow, but maybe it is in the dungeon. I, that's good. Um, I kind of metagaming it with my thoughts here. Uh, I think that would kind of ruin tempo. Um, unless we were supposed to, um, climb the mountain and like find, them the axe or something along the way before entering the eye of the all father but uh, that doesn't seem likely um but tempo wise it doesn't make sense to enter in this dungeon and then leave the dungeon to then go somewhere else to then come back to the dungeon and continue off in the dungeon it it, i mean it's sure i would say it's plausible um i'm not gonna discredit that idea or say no it's not gonna happen but i just i don't i don't think that for like a storyteller perfect perspective and you know just like keeping things rolling I, I it just doesn't sit right with me that we would have to leave and come back um that's why i personally think like it's in another room and if there is the big big bad evil guy at the end of the dungeon um then he's most likely going to be either protecting it or wielding it himself to fight us well, I I certainly won't um, won't say that's not the case, especially since uh, so there were a lot of cracks in the floor coming out from the, the center figure and splitting off. 
in between each of the um, statues of the of the giants. And this was a recent occurrence, we could tell. And it was um, seemed to happen when um, the ordning was broken, which hasn't been that long ago. So, um, you know, having said that, it's possible uh, that the axe was taken around the same time, or maybe that's how the ordning was broken. I don't know. Um, so, um, yeah, wasn't, um, certainly not sure of my, my stance, but, um, it just, uh, it is a big dungeon. So, uh, I would say that the bigger the dungeon is, the more likely that the ax is in here somewhere. Yep. So, um, all that being said, um, upon first entering the room, uh, and seeing the statues and hearing they all had weapons all for one, I was, to me, this was just screaming puzzle. Figure it out. Uh, do the thing. Um, and I thought I could have, I had an idea, and I thought, like, hey, this is a pretty good idea. Like, I, I'm, it might work, but I'm not really expecting it to work, but I, I at least need to try um, to make it work or see if it will work. And um, seeing that the frost giant had no weapon in its hand, and it looked like, hey, put a weapon, find the web, find the statue's weapon, put it in the holder, something happens. I had one of two ideas. Um, one was kind of a stretch. The other was just like, hey, it might work. Um, but I'm like, hey, let's Harshnag wields an axe. Uh, the fro- he's a frost giant. The frost giant is missing a weapon, and based off the pillars. Um, upon entering, there was a frost giant uh, chopping down a tree, and you use an axe to chop down a tree, traditionally. Um, so I'm like, hey, what if Harshnag puts his axe in the hands of the statue? Like, will that do the thing? Um, that didn't work. So then I'm like, okay, let's go for an even bigger stretch. And I remembered um, in our first dungeon, when we first got Smiter of Nightmares and uh, I held it for the first time that Teddy said it re it shrunk and resized itself to better accommodate me. So I'm like, okay, let me hand Smiter of Nightmares over to uh, Harshnag, have it resize for a giant, and then put Smiter of Nightmares in the statue. And that didn't work either. But, you know, I I thought it was clever. Pay for effort. Yeah. Pretty much. That's what it was. Um, and then Portia, um, smarter than I, was just like, well, I don't think it's any weapon that needs to go into the statue. And it, she's like, it has to be his weapon. And then that's where we're getting all these deductions of um, it's either in the dungeon or out, maybe it's outside the dungeon. Or, for all we know, it's no longer in the dungeon at all. And we have no idea where it is, and we'll get clues to where it is. Or uh, we'll clear out the dungeon and get teleported to the location, and then we'll have to work our way back. I don't know. But I'm sticking with my theory of big bad evil guy, end of dungeon, protecting or wielding the axe to kill us. All I know is I'm taking that trident and spear before I leave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Harshnag probably wouldn't like that much. Um, uh, uh, which also, uh, we found out, um, Harshnag was, um, uh, uttered a prayer to Orlon, uh, when 
we came in here and, um, so we know that, um, let's see, Banor's a God of War, third child of Orlon. So, um, we know Harshnag has some, uh, uh, religious beliefs anyway. Yep. Okay. So, uh, the last thing that we got to was on the opposite end of the, uh, of this very large chamber. There was a uh, portal with six mithril inlaid runes arranged around it. I'm taking those two, and um, they all were a um, different type of. It was a rune for different types of giants. Um, so something is um, up with that. How? Uh, it, whether or not we can cross this portal without figuring those runes out, we don't know, because uh, that's where we kind of wrapped up. So what do you think? Um, I have a suspicion and slash or a theory. Um, I didn't really ask it at the time, because, you know, we were, like, getting close to session time and whatever. Um, but I wanted to ask and see if the, like, if five of the six runes were glowing... And it just so happened that the storm giant, or sorry, um, pardon, the uh, frost giant's rune wasn't glowing. And based off Teddy's response of either they are glowing or they're not even glowing at all, um, based on his responses is how I'd progress forward. But um, if they are glowing all but the frost giants, I'm going to assume we need to find his weapon, return the weapon, then the rune will glow, and then the archway will allow entry of or something along those lines. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a solid idea yet. But we were in our beginning dungeon. We were in that room that had all the pools, and someone yeah. had someone had to sit in the pool or immerse themselves in the pool in order to uh, end up allowing us to progress. And since we have all six of the giants in the room and the six runes, I'm wondering if we don't have to somehow manipulate the statue or um, have someone touch it or uh, face them the right direction or something. That, uh, that's also something I was considering, and this is from our other 5th um, edition campaign, um, we had a similar statue puzzle, um, and we could rotate statues to look towards the door, look towards one another, look towards the entrance we came through. And, you know, based on what you did, uh, uh, progressed forward or did nothing. So that was also a thought I had too, is if we could move the statues and see if like reorient, either reorientating them or rotating them a certain way, um, did a thing. But that one I'm less confident on. Um, I don't. I'm. I'm less likely to believe that that theory. Um, I'm still sticking with the find axe, return axe thing done. Yeah, that's. Um, I, I, but I, I don't know if that's. I I don't know why there would be. 
uh, runes at this portal if we didn't have to figure something out to get through it. Yeah, I mean... So, but we'll find out. Find out next session. Yeah, and grasping at straws here, maybe Teddy's pulling a fast one on us and we have to rearrange the weapons in each of the giants, but I don't think that seems to me even so far-fetched. Yeah, because it seems like they all have the weapons they're supposed to have. Yeah. I mean... It, it, it does seem like they were supposed to... Each weapon was appropriate to the them. But I don't know. You know, just throwing out ideas, rattling, rattling the brain. Uh, maybe if we touch uh, the rune of a particular giant, then we uh, become that giant and go the rest of the way through the dungeon like that. How about that? Oh, fuck. Um... You just gave me a really bad idea. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, the thought that just instantly popped into my head is if we touch the uh, touch the rune, like if we touch the fire giant rune, uh, I'm going... The thought that just crossed my mind is that fire statue comes to life and we have to fight it. And then we Ooh. have to fight all of these statues to progress forward. That would be awesome. Then I will get those weapons. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean considering but, we survive you know and all that that's just uh, uh, uh that's just uh semantics though <laughs> yeah but you know i don't know i'm an overthinker i'm probably overthinking and throwing gretton throwing stuff around that doesn't need to be thrown around and it's probably as simple as lock and key or something i don't know but we'll find out all right. Anything else to cover before we uh, get to the reports? No, you, my friend, did a uh, a told the dead, which you haven't done in quite a long time. Well, I mean, this was only our second session back from um, big long gap too. So, um, yeah, I tried told the dead twice, both times on injured. Um, Injured opponents, so got to roll a big old D12. Didn't roll over a four either time, I don't think. Maybe a five and a four. And, um, but, um, one save, one miss. So I was 50% for the session. And that brought me to, uh, let's see, a total of. Nine hits for 26 tries, so I'm at 34.6% for the entire campaign. <laughs> uh, I still say if I was in the majors, um, if I was hitting 360, I'd be making millions. So, yeah. Um, well, I have the spell Hex, and um, uh, a side effect of hex is I can choose a saving throw and they that creature will have disadvantage on it. So going forward, if I don't know, um, if I don't know like a good uh, saving throw to choose for a creature, then I most likely will be like this creature is going to have disadvantage on wisdom saving throws because just to help you and and to help us because your spirit guardians are wisdom save your total dead is wisdom save um if a there's like a hvt and a big group i might consider hexing and doing a deck save so lars can get that juicy fireball out yep but most of the time i'll probably if i hex at all um 
it'll most likely be a wisdom save that they have disadvantage on. Okay, well, and then we have your report for your Eldritch Blasts. Yep, so haven't been doing much melee combat um, recently. I've been Eldritch Blasting my like my life has depended on it, but this last session I did two melee attacks. Granted, they were inspiration advantage melee attacks, so I landed both, 100% for the session. Yeah. Um, and put this into perspective, I have landed uh, seven green flame blades and have missed four. So that's 11 times I've used green flame blade. I uh, was at a 55% average, now up to a 63 because I landed both of them. On the flip side of things, we have Eldritch Blast, which I feel like I do almost every turn now. Uh, I am close to the 30s on total amount of times of Eldritch Blast, but granted I get two beams um, at this level, so it's more like 15 times I've done it. That's still more. Um, only did it once last night, landed both, um, bringing the average from a 67 to a 69. Pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Very nice. Yep. But yeah, the biggest thing for cantrips for on my end was my my beta strike. Which um, you basically um, did twice in two battles now. Twice in one battle. Oh well, you did. Uh, you also hit the dragon with the with the smite. It wasn't beta. It, it was kind of a delta. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's just a regular smited melee attack. A divine smite, rather, not a uh, thunderous smite or any of the other smites. But yeah, that's it for the cantrip reports. All right. So, anything else to cover? Um, no. Uh, had a had a great time last night. Um, yeah, it was a good session. Everyone, everyone was there. Um, all had some pretty good laughs. Um, did did solid RPing and got got combat in there and everything. It was it was a good session. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, if there is nothing else, I guess we can wrap up. So thanks for taking time out of your Monday, man. Um, and I'm, if I don't um, hear from you before then, I will certainly talk to you by the weekend. Mm-hmm. All right. Take care of yourself, and we will see you all later. Bye.